Hi everyone, David here. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. If you like what you hear and want access to more of our fascinating in-depth content on the energy transition, you need to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for just 29 euros, which will get you full access to our website and app. We also have a wide range of subscription packages to fit you or your company's needs. Follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of What Matters, the podcast from Foresight, Climate and Energy on the transition to a decarbonized economy. My name is David Weston and as ever I'm joined by Jan Rosenau from the Regulatory Assistance Project and Michaela Hull of Agora Energivender. How are you both doing today? Doing good, awaiting the summer holidays. I'm all right. Um, having lots of fun being alone with my children for 10 days, 11 days, something like that. Uh, so yes, uh, I'm busy. Very good. I'm not sure which uh, situation I prefer to be in. Um, as we move into the second half of the year, uh, I'd say a key trend I've noticed so far in 2023 is the confidence around the solar sector. With uh, a new number of policy packages announced over the past 12 months, there appears to be a renewed momentum, especially within solar. Solar Power Europe's latest market outlook revealed the world installed 239 gigawatts of solar power in 2022, with 118 gigawatts in the rooftop segment. And after taking 22 years to reach its first terawatt of solar capacity, the world will reach its second and third terawatt in just five years. We've done a lot about the future of solar on this podcast, but what state is it in today? And is it in a position to scale up and meet the demands of tomorrow? What is the cause for this optimism at a time when there's a lot of negativity around? Our guest on the podcast this week is Dries Acker, a director at Solar Power Europe. Dries, thanks for joining us today. Am I right to say the solar sector is feeling quite bullish at the moment? We are, and I think there's reasons for that, and I'm sure that's what we're going to talk about. Well, maybe you could give us uh, the uh, initial sort of headlines. Well, why is it so confident at the moment? Yeah, well, it's yeah. The the, the key word is growth. Yeah, uh, growth beyond expectation. Um, uh, last year was an absolute record year, uh, 2022. Uh, installing more than 40 gigawatts uh, in one year, which is double the the amount that we installed two years, just two years before. Yeah? So it's 100% growth in in only two years, and and it's and it's across Europe, and I think that's interesting. Yeah? So it's not just a couple of countries uh, having, let's say, uh, great solar policies, um, uh, which was the case, let's say, 10 years ago. But now we're talking about an yeah an all EU uh, phenomena. Uh, even even in the less less expected, the more the, the unusual suspects, as we call them. For example, the Nordics. Uh, think about Sweden, Denmark. These are more than one gigawatt markets in one year. Ireland also uh, some some interesting developments there. Uh, also in the east of Europe, like Poland, for example, was the third biggest solar markets in 2022, uh, and it won't stop. Yeah. So the projections going forwards are uh, indeed uh, bullish and. Uh, but we also believe realistic, and it's it's our responsibility as Solar Power Europe, as, as a sector representation, to, to to make people understand that something different is happening than what we knew in the past. Yeah, in the next five years, the solar that we're going to add has nothing to do is of another scale than the last twenty five years. We're going to add much more in the next five years than what we have currently installed. Um, so it's it's another. It's we were in a different in a different era uh, for the solar industry, and it is important that we don't just celebrate that, which we do, of course, but we also tell people about this because the system will need to be made ready for that, and 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 we're of course not not, not there for the moment. What we see over the last years, maybe just to conclude, is that we see a chronic underestimation. Uh, of solar deployment in all studies. Yeah? And I'm talking from IEA to uh, IPCC to even studies of our own community with like from civil society. If I think about the report from Ember uh, uh, that, that was also, I think, covered here on the on the call, they all underestimate solar and it is not innocent because we will not make the right infrastructure choices if we don't accept and let it trickle down what's actually going to happen in solar in Europe and globally. So why is that though? What's happened in the last maybe 
two, three years that's really um, accelerated solar, especially in these markets like, uh, as you mentioned, Eastern Europe, Ireland, the Nordics. Has there been a tipping point? Has there been a, a, a something that's really made solar much more attractive than it was in the sort of five, 10 years before that, even when it so during the time it's been competitive, it's not been going at the same rate it has been now. What's caused it to really take off in the last sort of two two years? Yeah, so I think solar has been coming back with a vengeance, uh, to put it that way, since 2016, 17. And then since then, we've been uh, breaking records every year and we will continue to do that uh, according to our projections. So what, what has changed? I mean, of course, costs matter. Yeah, uh, the, the cost uh, reductions in solar are widely known. Uh, so, so this is, of course, an important factor. Uh, but but uh, what I think is also an important factor is just mental inertia <laughs> uh, and just general awareness, uh, understanding this, that this technology is here and it's available. And, uh, and, and what, be- what was a radical view in terms of... Uh, Solar as a cheap product just became mainstream uh, because of, of, uh, of people seeing it deployed in certain leading markets. And then you have countries like, for example, the Netherlands, like suddenly out of the blue a couple of years ago, uh, doing a solar boom uh, like, like no other country in a short period of time. The Netherlands is still the country with the highest solar penetration per capita in the world. Yeah, so just and, and it's those countries that then also kind of set the pace for countries like, like Denmark, Ireland, Sweden. So it creeps up. Yeah? Uh, it's not just a story of Spain with big solar cap- uh, capacity where everybody knows, likes to go on holiday and enjoy the summer. And Germany, where people just think like, yeah, they have deep pockets, they can do whatever they want. So that, that, that used to be the story. That's not the case anymore. You have more leaders, more examples, and then the economics eventually uh, starts start, uh, uh, yeah, start landing and trickling down as well. Dries, I would like to um, dive a little bit deeper on the economics because I don't think um, all of our listeners um, know the details of that in quite the same way as you do. So, so one of the figures that I think has been widely shared is from the IPCC report that came out last year uh, in April, I think, where it was said that solar... Uh, modules have uh, declined in price by, I think it was 85% over uh, the decade 2010 to 2020. Uh, then there were reports, I think, um, last year during the energy crises that the cost of solar were actually going up because of supply chain constraints. And then the last time I looked, I think it was in January, there were um, news items saying now the cost of solar is plummeting again. And, yeah. and, and th- that is now... Um, you know, showing a downward trend. So I, I'm just curious whether you can provide a little bit more granularity as to where we are. You know, yes, we've seen that 85% reduction, then costs seem to have gone up and now down again. So where are we? Are we still on a downward trajectory? How far can we go? Uh, you know, could solar become 50% cheaper? What's the expectation in the industry? Yep. No, I can give some flavor to that. Then. So you're right that um, uh, historically over the last two decades, it's been a story of uh, of of, of uh, impressive cost reductions year on year, uh, which had to do with with learning and scaling and uh, uh, yeah, the, the normal uh, law of more, <laughs> uh, if you know what I mean. So every doubling in capacity then also reduces uh, the cost, and you have economies of of scale. Uh, and the technology improvements have been been impressive uh, as well. Uh, but you're right that uh, in 2022, for the first time uh, in this long curve that goes steeply down, there was an uptick. Uh, and that has to do with, of course, a special year that 2022 was instead of in, in terms of supply chain constraints, uh, inflation, uh, material costs. Uh, so that has impacted solar uh, as it has impacted literally any other technology and by extension, any other, uh, uh, yeah, uh, let's say consumer product, uh, to, to put it that way. So inflation cuts across, of course, technologies like solar. Uh, then the impacts of, of, of inflation and a uh, higher cost of capital has a bigger effect uh, or comp- comparatively to other products because it's, it's a high upfront cost. It's a, it's a capital-intensive technology, um, which is in a way also paradoxical because yeah, it's technologies like solar that then suffer most from inflation and interest rates while actually deploying them as a deflationary effect. Yeah? So it's, uh, yeah. The world can be so unfair, I think, then. <laughs> uh, but but uh, just to, to put it out there. 
But as you mentioned and as you introduced, that upward tick is not going to uh, continue. Yeah? So we are going to see another downward uh, trajectory in the next years. And that's because of a certain normalization uh, of supply chain constraints uh, post-COVID and, and, and post, um, yeah, mostly post-COVID. Uh, also, yeah, and, uh, and hopefully normalization of interest rates and inflation being the, the worst behind us. But what is also important to note is that there are just further improvements in production capacity uh, in, in China, mainly, uh, and especially when it comes to the raw material, polysilicon. Yeah, that solar is uh, yeah, is using mostly polysilicon prices have gone up quite quite steeply in 2000 in, in 2021 2022 but it's falling off a cliff again and that's really remarkable because capacity uh, solar demand is booming globally uh, production capacity is booming uh, in China but also elsewhere but still the polysilicon uh, that is available is is also growing and at capacity so you see a decrease and the effect of that will be felt on solar module prices. Um, for the moment, average was around 22 cents per watt peak. Um, uh, that, that was like considered standard, maybe 20 cents watt peak. Um, uh, in 2022, it was a bit higher, but uh, on average, we're seeing now yeah, predictions for the coming months, years of 17, 16, even 15 cents per watt peak. So that's yeah, at that, on that volume, these are incredible further cost reductions. You said before that uh, hardly anyone understands the exponential growth of solar. In Fatih's defense, I listened to the podcast with Liebreich yesterday, and, well, we know all their modeling, no? that Auke Höxtra then always reality versus IEA prediction, but uh, the way he spoke about solar and also what solar means in China, so solar, the new king, so they start to understand it, but, um, at least a bit more. What is, what is your view? Because we have just um, launched the process here in Brussels with the National Energy and Climate Plans. And if I remember your, your organization's market outlook, you were saying solar grows so fast that what the member states originally wanted to do for solar deployment, they will be there already in 2025. And so now would be the moment to take the new reality and accept it. And I've seen somewhere on Twitter someone saying Spain wants to double the solar capacity. What is your expectations here? And what will you do in order to tell everyone the secret that solar is the new king? Yeah, no, that's right. And actually, um, Fatih Birol was also a guest on, uh, uh, on our Solar Power Summit earlier this year. Uh, and there, he, in all his wisdom, uh, he declared solar is actually the queen of the transition. And uh, we much appreciate it. Ah, it's female. Yes. Hmm. I thought it was the the king, no, but okay, no. I take the yeah, queen. Yeah. I mean, maybe Wint is the king with the phallus. Okay, that's another topic. <laughs> um, anyway, that's what he said, and we thought it was a good line. Uh, but to your question, yes, um, um, you've, you've read that very well. Eh? The, 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 the NECPs, if you aggregate them, the current ones, which dates back, of course, from 2000, what is it, 19? It's like, that's a long time ago. <laughs> it's before the lockdown. Do you remember that? Um, uh, Vaguely. Um, <clears throat> uh, we're, we're getting to levels of, I think, 330 gigawatts or something, which we project to to actually hit by 2025. Yeah? So, so that's just an indication of this. Uh, what I call the chronic underestimation. Um, so we have seen some new drafts of the NECPs. Not that many came in, uh, if you followed it. Uh, Portugal, Netherlands did come in, and we are seeing significant step up. Yeah, so that is that 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 reality gap is being plugged. Uh, on the European level, the solar strategy from last year, more or less a year ago, a bit more, um, Increased ambition uh, quite dramatically as well uh, towards 2030 as part of the Repower EU agenda to um, 600 gigawatts of solar by 2030, but in AC. Yeah? That's a technical detail. We talk about 750 gigawatts DC, I can explain. Um, so that is already a significant step up. And, and I expect that the NECPs, when the drafts come in, will... Take take a leap forward closer to that to that number. Yeah, so we do expect that. Um, but yeah, we have to of course wait and see. Uh, and what I of course fear a little bit is that despite some movement in uh, let's say east of Berlin, 
uh, in countries like Poland, uh, even Czech Republic to some extent, Greece, we will still and actually increasingly see that that the east-west divides uh, um, continuing uh, to to uh, that you really have different systems in the making uh, on both sides there. Uh, so that's something that uh, that I think we collectively need to uh, work on, on on bringing in some of these Central and Eastern European uh, countries. Yeah. I would like to uh, maybe pick up on the point that you made about the Repower EU target that the Commission put out there. We of course have similar targets for other technologies too. You know, we have them for hydrogen. Um, you know, 20 million tons of green hydrogen by 2030. We have it for heat pumps. Um, we you know, have it for offshore wind. Uh, we that, So we have all these targets. And I, I guess I, what my question to you would be, Dries, is um, to what extent are these targets actually backed up with firm policy interventions? I mean, I've, I've seen the, the mandate for rooftop solar um, that should have some impact, but I'm curious to hear from you beyond the target, uh, what are you actually seeing as kind of policy drivers at European level to push solar to that very high level of ambition that the commission wants to achieve. Yeah. So when it comes to the ambition and the repower EU, uh, I should say that from a solar point of view, that is like, yeah, we tell the commission, yes, sir, yeah, or yes, ma'am, because uh, I think the commission is also a female. The commission um, is female. I agree. Sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> um, um, and, and I think actually in comparison to, to, to other technologies, solar has still been underestimated. Yeah. In a, in a crisis situation where you want to push your, your positive solutions. Uh, I mean, our message to the commission was like, we can do one terawatt. Huh? So 1000 gigawatt instead of 750 because it's TC. Um, so, so it's like what a quarter more. Yeah. Uh, so here, then you get to a quite an odd situation where one of the, Technologies that you that are the key solutions, the key no regrets, is telling the commission, why don't you make more use of us? Yeah, and they don't. While then on other technologies like on hydrogen or biogas, they go to insane levels. Yeah, that that are literally out out of the out of the the, the, the ordinary and, and plain unachievable. Yeah? So that 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 alone is already a perspective on the power EU. But okay, fair enough. Uh, they trust solar. Uh, we are there to deliver. It's not easy. Let's uh, let me put it that way. And to your question, it will of course depend on the on the policy framework being being as enabling as possible. Uh, and on that, maybe a couple of things. So first, yes, the 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 the, the, the solar mandate, rooftop solar mandate, which is part of the building's performance uh, directive. Yeah? Uh, that's important. That will be a, a major drive. Now. The EPPD is not, is not doing that great. Yeah? It's a bit stuck in, in trialogues as well. Um, so we are quite worried about it because it's, it's becoming a real politicized uh, uh, document. Uh, and there's a lot of attention of, uh, around the EPP and the nature restoration law and the Green Deal. But we're not even landing some of the key energy files either. Yeah? Uh, so so I, I, I really think we need to kind of collectively... Uh, maybe you can help Jan, <laughs> uh, make sure, and Michaela, uh, that, that the EPDD is, is not slipping between the cracks because this is such an important file for energy security and for and for uh, for people. Yeah, this is about efficiency. This is about resilience against uh, crisis. This is about energy security. And still there, yeah, there are some forces that want to politicize this, uh, this file. Yeah? Uh, I, I, th I really think it shows that the political class thinks the energy crisis is over and they can start playing games it's not yeah uh yeah it can it can come back where we yeah europe is a bit lucky you know uh, i mean we did great let, let we should also applaud european leaders i think that's fair and we should applaud the people right? because the european citizens have played such an important role in this energy crisis like Putting the thermostat on 19 degrees, people did that, yeah. Uh, like by and large, of course, not everybody. Uh, people invested in rooftop solar massively, yeah. And those things really helped. So, yeah, we should celebrate uh, sometimes. But, yeah, I just want to make sure that we don't get into some kind of a complacency modus by then, yeah, playing games with important files like performance of buildings uh, directive. But how important are these files then? If 
as you say, 118 gigawatts of rooftop solar alone last year, 239 gigawatts overall. Why do we need things like the EPBD and um, other sort of industry acts to keep pushing it when it seems like the market is doing quite well with what's already available? Yeah, no, I wouldn't want to give that impression at all. So, so in our projections, we we of course assume certain uh, what we what I tend to call progress as usual. Yeah, from a policy point of view, not necessarily business as usual, but so there's expectations built into those uh, projections. And I think the rooftop solar segment is a really important one, and therefore uh, certain mandates or at least. Uh, uh, ambitions on the rooftop segments, uh, which you of course have to differentiate. Eh? You you can go much harder, let's say, uh, on the on the on the the CNI, so the SME rooftops and uh, commercial uh, IKEA rooftops and all of that. When it comes to residential rooftops, there you have to be a little bit more careful. There you have to play much more with incentives uh, rather than with mandates. So so you know we make we make that differentiation as well, obviously. Um, but it's such a low-hanging fruit. And if you don't have this European message, this European law, you will see at some point that, yeah, as energy crisis gets also like an, uh, a distant memory, yeah, it's not, if it's not so, so uh, hot in the press anymore or if that complacency kicks in, you may see a slowdown of that market. And, and then you need European policy to, to, to show the way and, uh, and also make this, make this movement happen across Europe. As I said before, I think that's going to be really important that we keep on thinking about the EU in general and not just celebrating a couple of leaders. Yeah, that's not going to that's not going to work. Actually, this morning, Dries, we had a conference um, on solar in the cities. Valbuga was there also, where basically the city of Budapest. So basically, an you know a city in a country that usually is not very solar friendly. I think they haven't been in the past, but the city of Budapest wants to. And there basically the, the event was about what still prevents no, the installation of roofs, etc. Uh, I guess in that case, it's also maybe not a, such a supportive a framework. Um, but do you actually, um, when you gather your market data, and I think like, how much did, did, did solar grow, grow in Europe over the past year, like plus 41 gigawatt or something? How much of it was rooftop? Do you know that? Do you have this granularity? Yeah, yeah we do, or at least we have a, a proxy to that. Um, so in 2022, it was around 75% of that was rooftop. Seriously? Yes. But this, this, this goes to my point, yeah? It was like the people reacted. Wow. Energy crisis and not people also SMEs and people with roofs. Rooftop solar also goes much quicker from a permitting point of view. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it was really you could see you could see that reaction uh, to to the the energy crisis, which started in 2021. As a matter of fact, people forget that. Huh? So so uh, Putin was preparing the grounds uh, before February last year. Yeah? Uh, so you see that. Uh, so but that was quite exceptional. We we mm. we, we think that rebalance much more to. Um, yeah, in 2030, we assume a 50-50 split between utility scale and rooftop. Okay. But that's, of course, that's, that's, that's hard to predict. Um, uh, but, but last year was quite uh, yeah, wow. exceptional. I had no so, idea it was that high. Okay. Yeah. But tell me a bit like, okay, we just had the new renewables directive, etc. What can market design do? Like, if you could name one or two things to really make rooftop more viable, really in all places of Europe... What what would it be? What would you what would still be needed in terms of incentive to make it last this reaction to the crisis? Yeah, well, I really think that the European signal when it comes to a, a mandate in a, in the EPBD is is really important. Yeah, especially for the commercial and the industrial roofs. Uh, the, the 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 yeah the low hanging fruit and the untapped potential there is just so huge. Yeah? Uh, and it's on rooftops, yeah. It doesn't impact land. Uh, it's it's very agreeable. Yeah? It's yeah, very. Yeah. It ticks so many boxes. <laughs> um, that's that's a, that it's 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 a, yeah. It's it's something to yeah. to to do. Um, of course, there's other elements as well. And then you get more to to electricity market design uh, dimensions um, where uh, yeah, grids uh, are becoming a bottleneck. Um, I think the Netherlands, to 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 uh, to refer to that again, they had such a solar boom in a, in a short period of time, 
and then very quickly also hits those kind of um, uh, grid capacity limitations. And um, so we really need a revolution on that on that level, and it's especially on the distribution level. Uh, so we want to make sure that that uh, uh, conversations about grids uh, are not solely uh, about uh, also, but not solely uh, about uh, transmission system level, uh, big electricity highways across Europe. This is essential. We are strong supporters of that. But if you see that, yeah, more than. 60-70% of renewables going forward will actually be connected to mid-voltage uh, or actually uh, lower voltage levels, then, then the distribution grid operators really need to come uh, in the picture here. And that is that, that needs a political push because we're going around in circles. Yeah, DSO referring to the regulator because they're setting the incentive scheme and they can only finance uh, yeah, or capex-based uh, and the regulator then going back to the DSO saying, yeah, okay, uh, well, what's your plan? How can I trust your anticipatory <laughs> plans? You know, are we not going to build white elephants? Am I going to be criticized in three years that I allowed you, that I wasted public uh, resources because I allowed you to, 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 to invest? Uh, so, you know, th- there's a circle yeah? and it's a typical situation where you need a political intervention uh, to kind of change that, uh, uh, that, that dynamic. Uh, and we know there's a lot of political attention on grids. Uh, there will be a special event in September, which I think is even going to be chaired by von der Leyen, <laughs> if I saw that well. But it's again a TSO level grid event, which again, super important. Mm-hmm. But we miss an important trick uh, if we keep it on the TSO level only. On that, I couldn't agree more. I think the EU policies have been traditionally always a bit focused on the cross-border internal market and uh, the whole distribution level is really a bit absent. Huh? Yeah. yeah. And maybe just to add one more thing, because uh, you were talking about the cities as well, uh, which is great that uh, that you organized that. Uh, uh, we actually published a report on solar cities uh, called Solar Cities uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, which we did together with the city network. So it's co-branded yeah, with ICLEI, uh, with with uh, energy cities as uh, Federale as well this kind of regional uh, and and that's a thing we love to do yeah we love to kind of publish papers together we also had a, a one on biodiversity with 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 BirdLife International because the the, the the philosophy of solar is like that yeah we have, everybody has a solar story to tell yeah so we want to do that with the agricultural people as well yeah? with, with, so F, F, there's a solar it sort of touches up on literally everybody. Every constituency has an has a role to play. Uh, but that Solar Cities report is indeed talking about the 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 multiple shades of grey and different uh, things that cities can do uh, with solar, uh, from co-funding, uh, yeah, uh, financing, uh, community energy, of course, but then also just put solar on public buildings and share the excess solar energy with the communities around it, with the, with the citizens. And that is such a great model. And in the electricity market design, local energy sharing, that's what it's called. It's one of those kind of under the radar articles that can make a fantastic difference. So though, for us, those things really matter and it, it can create new uh, dynamics and uh, with cities, but also outside uh, around local energy sharing. So we're quite excited about that. I would like to um, fast forward a bit to 2050 and uh, ask you about the potential role of solar in in 2050 if we're going to meet the net zero goals. So currently, solar globally um, yeah, provides still a very small share to overall um, electricity generation and um, certainly to overall energy demand. If we fast forward 27 years to 2050, uh, let's assume we've met the climate goals. How important is solar going to be? Are we talking 10%, 20%, 50%, 80%? What, what's, what's your take, Dries? And I know there are hundreds of studies on this question, but I'm, I'm curious to hear from someone who works for the industry. What do you think is, is, is a realistic trajectory for solar without being too precise? Of course, we don't, we don't know, right? No one, none of us knows exactly what solar will, will achieve, but what do you think is a sensible uh, target? Uh, a sensible ballpark figure uh, to to aim for. Yeah, I mean, in percentage, I find it sometimes difficult to express. Uh, I think it's it's maybe more interesting uh, to tell you something about what the industry believes it's 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 
can deliver, if you see what I mean, in vis-a-vis the, the net zero scenarios. And uh, if you think on a, let's take it on a global scale. Yeah. So we last week in Munich, we had a big into solar trade fair. We celebrated the first terawatts on global level of solar, like yay, champagne, yeah, a little bit. And then we projected what actually, um, uh, what, what levels of solar one, one needs to build to be in line with net zero. And of course, studies uh, diverge. But in 2050, we need to be well above 50 terawatts. 50, five, zero. Yeah. And of course, uh, as Dave introduced before, we it took us 20 years to reach one terawatt, but it will only take us three years to reach three terawatts from now on. Yeah. And then it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's exponential going forward. So this is, completely possible yeah uh, but it will have to be on that level so it's good to celebrate it's good for the motivation <laughs> and for people's management point of view but i can i can tell you in the solar sector nobody is complacent about that this is the market that actually solar should be hi everyone me again please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen it really helps us out means we can make more shows like this and means more people can find us Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to Foresight Climate and Energy so you don't miss out on any of our other podcasts or long-form journalism. Head to the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. That sounds like amazing uh, numbers there and an incredible amount of solar capacity uh, coming in the next five years alone, let alone uh, up to 2050. Uh, Supply chain, however, is still very reliant uh, on, on China and uh, Eastern Asia as well. Obviously, we've got the Net Zero Industrialization Act um, come in recently to help with that. But how is the supply chain? What is the current status of the solar supply chain? It could all come tumbling down if China decide to go down a very protectionist route. Um, what can the European and the Western solar s- sector do to protect itself against against those sort of um, changes? Yeah, this is uh, this is a very hot topic, yeah, and for good reasons, of course. Yeah, since uh, you can, you cannot have a discussion about accelerating solar and building Europe's energy uh, system and therefore uh, prosperity uh, uh, on the one hand without then also talking about what that means in terms of uh, supply chains and. Uh, and that side of the equation. So we are very happy as Solar Power Europe, and we've been asking for that for many years, that there's finally an, 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 an adult conversation, or we're getting there at least, uh, about uh, solar supply chain diversification. Uh, so finally, we have to do it. Yeah? Europe has to be part of this. Uh, and for the moment, yeah, Europe is falling a bit between the cracks, unfortunately. Uh, just, just to kind of yeah, say the obvious uh, uh, solar is, is of course highly dependent on China on one single source of supply. I think it's uh, yeah the, the modules we import is like eighty five percent plus uh, from China, uh, and that also counts globally. Yeah? Now what you see is that there is diversification in the supply chain globally uh, because many countries are starting to want to take their part of the pie yeah, of the the future value chain of energy, which is clean energy and solar is certainly part of that. Uh, so you see actions in India, in Turkey, of course, the United States with the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, not to be forgotten. And since then, more Canada. Yeah, uh, Canada is, is outperforming the IRA, so the, uh, or at least that's what they that's what they aim for. So there's this really uh, industrial policy uh, race uh, across across the world, um, and Europe is, yeah, trying to figure out what it wants to do and. We understand it's a new agenda. It's not easy, but when it comes to solar, it's kind of urgent uh, because we are lose. We can We already lost actually compared to six months the what I call the the next investment cycle. Yeah. So then the next two three years, most solar factories are not going to be built in Europe. They will be built in the US and in India and maybe somewhere else as well. So, uh, with some exemptions, of course, yeah, we, we do see some movement in Europe. Uh, like in France, in, uh, in Italy, so it's not that nothing is happening. But when we talk about scale and and and, and a project that can be sustainable uh, to the going forward, that need to be big. Yeah, uh, then yeah, we we're not seeing the solar manufacturing renaissance in Europe at this moment. On that point, uh, I saw somewhere. Um... I think it was you commenting in a Reuters article somewhere, but that you made the point that in order to compete with the IRA, 
there would there should be operational support for the manufacturing firms because the energy is so much no because where you want to gain back market shares is the midstream of the value chain which is high energy intensive if you want to take it back and there i'm always wondering i mean it's not a secret and it was also not exactly a new development that we have higher energy prices than us will probably ever have and so when i read this i'm always like I understand it, but what's the end point? Can this ever live without subsidy? Is it like, or is that the price we will have to pay in order to have 10% of that market, at least here at home? It's a difficult question, I assume. But like, yeah, how do you do that? It cannot be live on subsidies forever. And then also you, you just mentioned scale. I think like um, from what I understood from our work, you would really, I mean, we have nice projects, you know, like the, the Eno thing, et cetera, which is amazing. But in order to really be competitive with Chinese, you need scale. You need massive factories. So do you see this coming? Like, do you really see European member states going together and throwing in, you know, to, to have the massive factory that can compete at the world level? Michaela, let me just throw in one more point um, so Dries can answer that as well. We also, of course, have IRA in the US, the Inflation Reduction Act, where billions of dollars are being pumped into clean energy technologies and actually for production, not for demand, but for producing devices for you know, basically building factories in the US. So you've got, got a sort of double challenge there, China and the US. Um, and I'm just going to add that to Michaela's question, if I may. Yeah, no, indeed. And maybe to, to start with, uh, with Michaela. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a price to pay. That is for sure. Yeah, uh, it's it's the same consideration as to when you go on holiday. Uh, do you buy an insurance or don't or you don't? It's, it's the same kind of feeling. Like oh, it feels like a waste of money. Oh no, I'm gonna be happy if I have it. Yeah. So it, that's that's the that's the resilience conversation that we're having. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I think that's that's what Europe is struggling with as well. Now, one thing that is gonna be really important is that at the least we can do is to focus in our industrial policy on the key technologies where, well, two things that we're going to rely our future economic prosperity on. Yeah, that's, let's say, layer one. Second, where we are most vulnerable at the moment. Yeah? And if you take those two together, you get to a list which is a lot shorter even than the annex of the Net Zero Industry Act. <laughs> the nerds, uh, that are hey, focus in the EU that we have never done so well, right? No, yeah. uh, what I was saying to a mature debate uh, and saying that we're almost mature debate, it's exactly that what I mean. So we have a conversation in Europe about industrial policy and we are talking next to each other. People think it is about decarbonizing industry. People think it's about, is my technology recognized as part of net zero like in the taxonomy? It's like, nope, we're talking about industrial policy. So we'll have to focus on the things on solving our Achilles heels yeah, and to buy an insurance. So yeah, that's a message we were repeating, but it's, 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 it, it takes a while to, to, to trickle down. I mean, you know, the, the, our, our good friends from Bruegel, this, this, uh, this uh, think tank with, with a great reputation and, uh, and they do fantastic things, uh, but they also tweet and work on the Net Zero Industry Act. Their first point is it should be technology neutral. And then I really wonder, but am I missing something? <laughs> I mean, industrial policy is not technology neutral. That's the nature of it. Yeah. Um, so if we can already get that in a good place, then the financing yeah, is going to be a lot more manageable. Yeah. I sometimes draw the picture of the bridge. Yeah? Do you want, um, if we have a large bridge, it's going to be very short and meaningless. Yeah. But if we have a tight bridge, it can be quite long and then helpful. Um, and, and I think that's where we are for the moment. Um, um, and, and, and Jan, to bring in your question, yeah, I mean, I think it's the same reflection. The IRA is not technology neutral. Yeah? So why would our response be technology neutral? And I think the, 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 the subsidy injection uh, in the US is of an incredible level that I would almost agree it's probably not smart for Europe to engage in a one-on-one -on -one competition. Europe can even benefit a little bit from that because some of our companies benefit from the American taxpayers and that's the good, you know, so there's that dimension as well. But for me, this whole situation all leads to focus. Europe should focus. One thing 
I think it's been mentioned before when when talking about China and and especially the IRA in in the US is Europe can't compete with these guys from an economic standpoint, but perhaps therefore we need to do it in a more innovative way and work smarter, not more harder. So, what perhaps new innovation is coming down uh, the pipeline within the solar sector that Europe could perhaps capitalize on? Um, I saw you were on a on a floating solar uh, trip. I think earlier this week. Uh, is that something that perhaps Europe can take a bit more of a lead on? Yeah, so you have innovation indeed on the technology side and on the application side. There's the very different uh, things. Uh, on the technology side, it is, yeah, solar is making important strides. Uh, we are going from efficiency levels, uh, which uh, if I study the numbers may not sound uh, uh, amazing, but they're actually enorm- make an enormous difference uh, of, of efficiency of like the current technology uh Perk modules of 22, 23% to Topcom. Yeah, that's the next generation. And that's then 24%. Yeah, so, but it's an enormous, enormous gain in the energy yield. And after Topcom, uh, we have something called heterojunction, and that would add another percentage and uh, even, even towards 30%. And, uh, and that's, that makes an enormous uh, difference. So that's good. That's going. Uh, but you were asking how that's going to help with European manufacturing. And it is, of course, Certainly so that Europe has uh, top-notch um, um, innovators uh, from Fraunhofer to, 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 to um, uh, Ines in, in France and uh, also in Belgium and the Netherlands. Uh, so that's uh, Oxford PV, not to forget. Um, it's Solar is a European technology, but there is no such a thing anymore as a, com- a, a structural competitive advantage on purely on innovation grounds with China. Yeah. A couple of years ago, heterojunction, yes, but the the scale in China and the further consolidation and the growth, they, they have lines that are purely from piloting, so pilot lines that are bigger than the biggest solar factory in, in Europe yeah, in terms of gigawatts, just for uh, trial and error. Yeah, so... You cannot continue to have innovative leadership without an industrial base. Yeah, that that's 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 a, that story ends at some point, and and China is really catching up with that. Uh, which doesn't mean that innovation is not important. Maybe as part of an as one of the non price criteria, uh, together with environmental and 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 then social and governance, that can together create some kind of an uh, an attraction pool for the Europeans. That yes, uh, but the times that. We, we are, per definition, more innovative and more uh, efficient than, 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 than China or other parts of the world. I'm afraid we have to yeah, get, get, get to accept that. That's not the case anymore. Dries, I, I have a final question on innovation, just building on what you said. What I've seen in the solar market from a, a customer perspective is that you see more and more companies offering a, a bundle of technologies. So they, they're not just selling you the solar but they're actually offering you a battery to go with the solar. They're offering you maybe even a heat pump to come with the with the with the solar, um, and, and maybe some energy services. Um, you know, maybe a special tariff. Um, so, what are you seeing in in how the industry is is um, is is maybe getting out of the silo of just selling solar um, and getting into a place where, uh, on the back of solar, you know, other technologies are being uh, packaged up and offered to consumers. Um, not just to generate, but also to to use the solar electricity that that people generate. Yeah, no, yeah. Thank you for asking that question because this is really important. Uh, I, I very much see it as as the next step that has now started. Yeah, uh, solar deployment is happening. System challenges is uh, is around the corner or already here. Yeah, uh, you see you see the price cannibalization. You see. Uh, uh, like yeah, not not only in California anymore, but you also see it in many parts of Europe. Um, so yeah, the, the, there is a response from the system that is needed, and we're coming to an area where solar needs to become needs to take responsibility. Yeah, so just not just celebrate its growth, but uh, take the responsibility as well. And then the solutions are very much in line with with what you've been saying, and we see that as well. Uh, that more and more tenders are actually also open to. To the hybrid uh, products, so solar plus battery, solar plus wind, um, with, with other uh, storage uh, systems, and I think that's 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 gonna be that's gonna be the next step. You were talking about the heat pumps there. A couple of um, uh, months ago, uh, we, we published a report uh, uh, called Solar Heats, yeah, 
which looks at the combined product of uh, PV and, and heat pumps uh, and just the role of PV for, for heating uh, on a residential level. And you know, just the payback times, the economics of your heat pump and your PV work so much better in combination because they, 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 they feed each other. So that, you know, I think it's, it's becoming, it's becoming, um, what's another word for stupid? <laughs> uh, it, it's, a, it would be a pity if we, if we continue as the heat pump industry, as a solar industry, as the electric mobility uh, industry to, to kind of talk about our technology separately uh, and, and, and celebrate our hockey stick uptake separately. Then we miss a massive trick. Uh, and just to, to end, uh, uh, maybe more symbolically, but we're going to do a big party in September, uh, a rooftop party. Please come. And it's together. We celebrate a lot, Therese, if I may notice, no? <laughs> I don't have that feeling at all, but I'm sure you're right. <laughs> but continue. So the, the 5th of September, and we've, it's a solar power Europe plus heat pump plus EV uh, joint uh, associations uh, events. So just to is that your new energy storage coalition or that's something else. no yeah. something else can, can you please differentiate parties from coalitions thank you <laughs> well i hope we are invited I, I i assume we can invite ourselves uh, it sounds like a great party you certainly will be invited yeah uh, but it's not just about the party I, also to tell you that yeah we this this is then you know the future is here yeah we need to we need to get these kind of solutions going um to to keep this yeah to keep the system manageable because curtailment is a big issue yeah i mean this summer we're gonna see a lot of wasted solar yeah uh curtailed solar yeah. uh, i'm quite sure and that's a pity Dries, thank you so much uh for that conversation i'm sure as you say a lot more that we could have touched on in our time together before we go uh one thing we ask all of our guests is if they could look into their crystal ball uh, what does the, uh, I guess, the solar sector, but the energy sector in general, look like in ten to twenty years' time, in your point of view? Yeah. Okay. I've been talking a little bit about uh, gigawatts and deployment, so maybe just to take a different angle on that. Um, so, solar has a great byproduct. It's called shadow, shade, yeah. and I, I really think, yeah, when it think agri PV, mm -hmm. floating PV for the sheep. They can hide. Yeah, yeah, but much more. I mean, regenerating soil, yeah, of wasteland. If you put panels on it, it actually allows new growth, uh, uh, pollinators, flowers, and everything to 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 come to fruition. So, I just have the feeling that those kind of dimensions, car parks, of course, it's just the fact that under the solar you have shade and and you can and I mean they call it trackers. It doesn't have to be stable. It can move a little bit. Yeah. I think that's going to be something that's that's uh, that's that's going to pull solar in as well uh, as we experience heat and drought and all of that. Yeah. Well, maybe that's my crystal ball contribution. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. Um, before we go, then uh, I'd like to go around the table and ask everyone what caught their eye in the last week or so. Let, Jan, let's start with you. Well, for me, it was the first chapter by uh, BP on energy demand. And you can see for the first time in quite a lot of detail what kinds of energy carriers BP expects to be used in different sectors. And the big takeaway for me was that they almost expect no hydrogen to be used in buildings. I'm just going to leave it there. Good to see. Good to see. Um Dries, how about you? What caught your eye? Yeah, well, it links uh, to, to uh, the last uh, conversation about storage. So what caught my attention on Twitter uh, is this new uh, company, well, new company, this, this new um, storage facility uh, based on, on, on bricks from Rond the Rondo Group or Rondo Energy. And it's fascinating because you can, you can heat it up uh, with wind and solar, obviously. And it stays at temperatures above 1,500 degrees, if I understood that well. If we, that, that's, that's the level that's, that's high temperature industrial processes need. Yeah? Uh, so we're talking about temperatures that were yeah, hard to electrify you know, fairly. Uh, so if we can do that with those kind of uh, bricks and, and other storage solutions, that's, that just makes my day. Yeah? And I think it goes to show that if the market will react to the price negative price situation i mean the market will see that you can get 
electricity for free yeah? and, and do something valuable with it. And, and storage can be quite low tech as well. It doesn't have to be super high lithium, whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, we went to visit this uh, this, uh, this this facility, Sibelco, where the floating solar was. They're like a silicon uh, company. They just heat up sand because they have loads of it. And is it efficient? Ah, not really. Uh, is it high tech? Certainly not. But it gets them to temperatures of 500 degrees to, 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 to dry the sand, and that's what they need. So all this kind of locally low-tech simplistic because the, the excess electricity will be there. I think that that's a fascinating uh, evolution. Point, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Michaela? That's true. This Rondo thing made quite some rounds in Twitter. I already had forgotten again. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I remember. Um, well, I have to come back to the podcast I mentioned earlier where Fati was quoted saying, I'm not in a romantic relationship with heat pumps but they are really useful and underrated. I think that's also a sentence that Jan could put on his Twitter profile. But I thought it was a healthy statement after going through the German heating law experience. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll forgive your podultery there for uh, lis- listening, uh, lis- uh, advertising another uh, podcast there. Um, but yes, definitely a, a good point of view from Fatih Birol. Um, uh, and finally then from me, um, was a tweet from Simon Evans, who we've had uh, on the podcast in the past, um, from Carbon Brief, and his uh, did some recent analysis of the UK uh, energy transition and um, how the increase in the bills um, is, or the lack of onshore wind, uh, is costing bill payers five point one billion pounds uh, in the last year, um, which is more than half of the, a £9.8 billion pound bill that cost payers are paying uh, because we didn't, quote, cut the green crap, um, if you remember uh, David Cameron's um, phrasing from uh, a few years ago. Just uh, uh, evidence that the influence governments have uh, and poor policy decisions is costing the bill payers, uh, especially at a time of high uh, cost of living. So that was my uh, what caught my eye. My thanks to Dries. That's all we have time for this week. My thanks to Dries, uh, Michaela, Jan, and our producer, Kira. If you have any thoughts or questions about anything we've said on today's podcast, you can reach us on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at DaveW underscore Foresight. Dries? Um, it's at Dries. Okay. One word. Jan? I'm on Jan Rosenau. And Michaela. That's a disinsane one. If you have any questions for the team, you can tweet the show at What Matters Pod or email us show at whatmatterspodcast.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.